This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. And, and I was pretty determined that, you know, people wanted choice and they wanted, they wanted fresh beer and they wanted to know that it was fresh because they'd seen it, you know, be released that weekend. And, and I think that was one of the things that really resonated with people early on was that, like, you could get something different all the time. And, and you know, obviously we were by no means pioneers of that model. It was, you know, something that we, we took inspiration from from a multitude of other breweries at the time. But it was something that wasn't as common in Australia. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. This week's guest, we have Matt McIver, founder and mullet extraordinaire of Range Brewing based out of Brisbane, Australia. Now, we first had an online relationship that stemmed from the start of lockdown, where we had the pleasure of producing a beer that you might know called Meet Me in the Middle. It was our first gold top. But since then, I actually had the pleasure of welcoming Matt and Abby to the brewery when they came over for Beaks Festival in these hills. Um, I've admired their work from afar, but I gotta say, the beers taste every bit as good as they look. I'm a huge fan of everything these guys do, and it was great to finally sit down, though virtually, with Matt and get to know more about the range story. So, let's get into it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the First Time, and this is our interview with Matt McIver. And we start with that all-important question, what was that first beer for him? Yeah, I've actually been thinking about this a lot. Um, obviously, I've listened to a few of these. And um, I, so I've thought about it quite a bit. And there's, there's sort of two answers. And the first one is uh, Rogue Dead Guy. Um, that, that was the first beer I think that I had when I was like 18 or 19 where I was like, holy shit, like this is not like all the beers I've tried that my dad's had um, growing up. But... <laughs> So that was kind of the first one. Uh, I worked in this little bottle shop in my hometown um, and they had a pub as well that had like a European beer cafe kind of vibe to it. Um, So I had a lot of different beers there. Um, But Rogue Dead Guy was the first one that sort of really threw me off guard and was really, really Mm -hmm. something different. Um, And then after that, I kind of went through my uni days and and didn't really explore that much more into beer um, until... Uh, I guess I had my first couple of pints of uh, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale, which is a very sort of cliche Australian answer for how did you get into craft beer. Um, But that was the truth. They were using Galaxy Hops, you know, back in the day in in ways that no one else was. And that beer at the time was just like this fruit bomb, like of, of, of a beer that was like quite polarizing for someone who didn't really drink that many um, sort of, craft beers at the time so that's really interesting that that stonewood beer so what I, what i'm hoping to do with this interview is get a whole a total insight from yourself on like the australian beer scene because it's it's really fascinating obviously australia is just this vast open country but the beer mm. scene's kind of small really in comparison to well i guess there's not actually that many people in australia for the for the size of the place um so you just mentioned there that stonewood was an entry point and you also mentioned galaxy hops now mm-hmm. that's quite so was that 
I don't know much about that beer at all. So was that just a kind of on the market, uh, supermarket kind of pale ale that they brought out or something? Uh, no, at that, at that time, Stone and Wood was a very uh, small brewery and probably quite similar in size to what, what we are now. Um, and so I'm talking about like kind of like 2000 and 2012, 2013, probably around mm-hmm. that time. Um, and they were quite a small brewery back then. And they had, they had a couple of beers, but they were, they became really well known for Stonewood Pacific Ale, which is, yeah, it's basically like a, like a refreshing, like English, uh, sorry, Australian style pale ale, um, that's made exclusively hundred percent with galaxy hops. Um, and it's just this like really smashable sort of, um, like four and a half percent um, pale ale, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, there, there just wasn't anything like it. And I, I worked in a craft beer bar that had a, a very um, good affiliation with Stone and Wood, and still still does, I believe. And it around Christmas time, you just you couldn't get it. Like that beer, like the staff of the bottle shop um, at at the bar would would buy all the Stone and Wood that we would get allocated at that no time. Way. Yeah, so it, it, it really it wasn't it wasn't anywhere near as widely distributed as what it is um, at the moment. Right. Yeah. So, if you could kind of just elaborate a bit on Australian beer culture, let's just go in and and, and figure it out. So, you obviously spent some time in the UK, but back then, two thousand and twelve, what kind of thing was happening over there? If anything at all, it was Stone and Wood, kind of the only the only. Um, the only thing in the market? No, they definitely weren't the only thing in the market. Um, they, I guess, they were one of they were one of the breweries that that um, uh, became known and 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 got widespread widespread distribution into a, a few more mainstream places than what other craft breweries did at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And and like even at that time, I was very early into into sort of exploring craft beer and and hops and stouts and sours you know were were even at that point to me were pretty new and 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 I I hadn't really explored too much into them at that at that stage um and I I think the Australian craft beer scene didn't really sort of start to flourish and kick off until about 2015 2016 um mm-hmm. and, and then through through 2016 through kind of 2020 just went on this massive, massive growth spurt where you had breweries like Stone and Wood just expanding massively, um, new breweries like Bolter opening up, but then uh, this real wave of, I guess, modern craft breweries. Um, you know, the size of the, the size of track, the size of range opening up, um, and just like showing people what 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 beer could actually taste like. Mm-hmm. So let's go on. So that's a little overview of the Australian kind of beer scene, but let's let's dive into your personal journey with it. So you've become kind of enthused at this point. You, you're trying things. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of excitement. Was there any thought process in your mind when you were drinking those beers that this was a career route or was this just something that was just tweaking your interest? Um, at, at that stage, you know, when I, when I started really getting into Stone and Wood and, and drinking that, like, we used to go to this this bar that I ended up working at, you know, three or four times a week to play pool and drink beer. And 
at that point, I was just trying to get a job working in that in that bar, which at the time was one of the only craft beer bars in Brisbane, and <laughs> they were very competitive, and I couldn't get a job there. Wow. Um, yeah, it wasn't until 2000 and 2014, uh, I came back from living in Canada for a couple of years, and uh, Mitch, who is funnily enough now our head brewer at Range, was uh, working there, and he was the ops manager, and he hired me. Um, and oh, I remember yeah. saying to him, "Hey, like I don't, I don't know that much about beer." And he was like, "Mate, just sell Pacific Ale till the cows come home." Those were his words. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty much what I did for like the first couple of months before I figured out like how to talk about beer and what I liked and what I didn't like and how I could sell that to customers. So, no, up until that point, there was definitely no real thought about having a long-term career. And it wasn't until I started working at that bar that I started really, really getting into beer. Um, that I kind of knew that I wanted to pursue a career in it. And Mitch, so Mitch is, yeah, one third of the kind of ownership with Range. It's you and and and, and he's become the head brewer. But his journey from there on, is this where your kind of both of your journeys set off from? Because I, I was just reading a little article about Mitch and he kind of followed a similar quest as you, which was to come to Europe uh, and pursue kind of brewing and... Uh, like kind of shadowing a few breweries and things like that? Yeah, so there's a little bit in between those two things happening. So uh, essentially uh, Mitch hired me and then left and he went and worked at Stone and Wood for a couple of years. Um, right. And he'd sort of learnt to brew before that, but that was where we, where he really honed his craft was at Stone and Wood. Um, and he was working in the original Byron Bay, Byron Bay Brewery, um, which they no longer brew in um, anymore, but he was working there and... He learned to brew and then he ended up taking a job back in Brisbane at a small brew pub um, where he was the, the only brewer. So he was writing recipes, doing all the, the, all the brewing um, and all the packaging there. Uh, and then that was sort of around the time that, that Jerry and I had, had spoken about starting range and I was living in London at the time. Um, and so when he ended up coming over to Europe, that was, that was sort of after I'd moved home from London and had developed some relationships with some breweries over in Europe that I then organized for him to go and sort of work out and shadow out and, and just, just to get out and, and see the, the culture that we'd seen in Europe um, and really sort of mm-hmm. fallen in love with and, and the brewing styles and the beers. Cause there were at that time in 2016, 17, the, the beer scenes in, in Australia and, and London and, and Europe and the U S were very, very different to what it was in Australia. And just to kind of elaborate on that, what were you seeing in Europe that was so fascinating and you you felt that you could maybe translate that back into Australian beer culture? I think it was just, um, it, it, it was a difference in, in quality for, for certain. Um, I think Australian breweries at that point hadn't quite caught up with the rest of the world in terms of brewing techniques and, and brewing ingredients. And we were limited by what was available to us and what people were willing to to spend on to get high quality ingredients. Um, and there was just a willingness to, to try new stuff and, and sort of do crazy things. And I think the trends at that point, you know, social media hadn't really even caught up at that point in 2016. And there, there just wasn't as much shared knowledge as I guess what there is now. And in terms of like brewing techniques and what people are doing and, 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 and the openness within the industry, I guess it was there, but it just hadn't, it hadn't quite got over to Australia as much as what it has now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, we just, 
there was a lot of very cool brands who were not only cool brands, but they were making very um, progressive beer at that time. And that was something that wasn't quite happening in Australia yet. There was a very old school, um, old school American IPA and American pale ale sort of thing that was still going on. Um, the, the kind of the modern IPA hadn't really developed yet, but it was happening at places like, like the Cloudwater V series was really kicking off when, when we were in the mm-hmm. UK. And that was one of the things that like really blew me away. I was like, hey, man, how can, a, how can an IPA taste like this? Um, <laughs> and, and so that was one of the, one of the things that, you know, and, and, and people like Mikola and Tuol, and we got those beers in Australia at that time, but never fresh. You know, when, yeah. when I, when I look back at some of the IPAs that we drank back in, you know, 2014, 2015 and, and, and what they tasted like, it's like, if I, if I got that now, it would just, you just wouldn't drink it. It is wild though, isn't it? I mean, like the distance, like Australia does just sit out there so far away from, from European beer culture. And what you've managed to do out there is something. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because I feel like obviously American beer culture came over to the UK and then it settled there and that kind of brand building around the beer and becoming more than just necessarily the liquid, but obviously that being the centerpiece. And you've done that in Australia. Now, were you, when you were seeing all this, where's your head going with like the business side of things? Because you're not you're not like a brewer, but you do have real input on that side of things. You You understand what makes a great beer and what you want range to be. Mm-hmm. Where, were, where were your skills kind of coming into play with the idea of the, the, the formation of the business? Well, at that point, we were, we, we were living in London and we were, we were visiting breweries on weekends. And, and even in that time, the, the, the taproom scene in London wasn't, wasn't as good as what it, what it is now. And, and it's still maybe not like what some American brew pubs and tap rooms alike. And, and, and so we learned very quickly that to make the kind of beer that we make, we, we needed a, um, especially starting, we needed a direct to consumer market and we needed to be able mm-hmm. to sell our beers predominantly over our own bar and out of our own takeaway fridge. Um, and that was something that we put a real emphasis on um, in the early days and starting up was, was getting people to come to the brewery to, to try our beers. Um, and we did a little bit of wholesale in the first few years, but it, that didn't really take off, you know, hasn't, didn't really take off until last year um, when, when we saw a bit of growth. But yeah, I guess my input at, at the start was, was really heavily on, on focusing on the hospita- hospitality side of things and, and making sure people's experience when they came to range was the best that it could possibly be and the environment that they drank our beers in was the best environment for them to drink our beers in. Man, there's so much like vibrancy to range as well. I always look at it, you know, from a as a spectator because I haven't, I haven't flown over to see you yet. Alas, I was supposed to come and brew with you guys pre-pandemic, but you know, we'll get there one day. But yeah, what you've managed to do is, well, I guess communities there, but there's also just excitement. You started off very similar to us in this idea that a core range wasn't really at the core of the business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we could kind of skip back to, you've been in London, you've settled, I guess all of your, your, you're speaking together quite frequently. Um, uh, Mitch is building up some brewing experience and was the, the aim was just to go back to Brisbane and set up. Was that pretty set in stone by then? 
Yeah, it started as um, as a bit of a silly joke and we kind of said like, oh, wouldn't it, you know, J- Jared and I were in London and we would go to all different bars around East London and different tap rooms and it kind of started as this little joke, you know, like, oh, if we ever started a bar, you know, we like those tiles, we like those tap handles, you know, we would have this kind of snack food, you know. It really started as something like that and then it was, we were so intrigued by the European beer scene that, that we initially just wanted to open a bar that imported, you know, UK and European like beer that we that we hadn't seen. There was all these brands like, you know, Colonel and Brew by Numbers and and Wiper and True and brands like that that we just had never heard of in in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of snowballed into, okay, if we're gonna open a bar, like we might as well make a little beer. Let's have a little brew pub, and then we're like, okay, if we're gonna make beer, let's like really make beer. Um, and, and so it, yeah, it transformed into this, this idea of opening a brewery and our initial conversations with Mitch were more around, like, if we wanted to do this, like what kind of stuff would we need? Like, what would, what are we looking at in terms of infrastructure and brewing equipment? And so he was more consulting with us initially. And then, he, ah, like, okay. yeah, so he was pretty happy where he was. And then it, it, it kind of just turned eventually. And he was, you know, we, we kind of had a vision even, even early on then about what we wanted to do. And I think that, that appealed to him um, and having some fun with the beer and what we made and, and sort of pushing the limits without any compromise in the beer was, was appealing to him. Um, and that's sort of at the point that he came on board. Right. Let's get into it then. Let's get into the full range story. So you, you've settled, you've been speaking to Mitch on a consultancy basis. You're heading back to Australia. Your visas have run out. You've experienced all of this European beer culture, the tap rooms, you arrived back in Australia. What were your first kind of moves to, to, to get this, this business going? Well, at that point, we'd, the, the reason that we moved home was, was not because our visas had run out. It was because we'd, we'd kind of run out of things that we could do to plan a brewery from the other side of the world. And Okay. Yeah, we'd, we'd made some pretty strong plans. You know, we knew where we wanted to be and what we, what we wanted to do, what, what brew kit we wanted to buy and how big it needed to be, um, the sort of space we needed to find. And it was, it was then like, okay, well, we need a space. So we, we'd had some friends go and kind of inspect warehouses for us, but we were never going to be able to get anything going, um, you know, without actually being in the country. So that, that was kind of the reason that we moved home. And that was the first port of call was, was trying to find a space, uh, yeah, to open the brewery, which at that time, you know, I'm glad that we were doing it in, in 2017 and not in 2022 because real estate in this, in this city, in, in the, the inner suburbs just doesn't exist anymore. And certainly not at the price that we managed to sign our lease for. So, um, we were very lucky to, to find the space that we had. Um, and I remember the first, the first time I called to inquire about our warehouse, it was advertised by two real estate agents. And I, I called the first one and he basically hung up on me and said, no, it'll never work. You won't, you won't get approved <laughs> by council. And I was kind of like, well, interesting. Okay. And so I called the other um, real estate agent and she, she heard me out and was kind of like, kind of echoed the same thing. Like, oh, I, don't, I don't know that it'll that you'll get this through. And I said, well, this is what we want to do. Like, it's not a massive brewery. Like we just want to do this and this. And we've spoken to a town planner and they think that, you know, the street is zoned correctly from council. And so she like heard us out and and let us come in and have a look. And, and then, yeah, we ended up eventually signing the lease and we really had no problems with council getting, getting our application through. 
Um, it was just, you know, the process that we had to go through. So yeah, I'm very glad that she answered the phone that day and, and heard me out. And I was disappointed years later to, to find out that they actually split the commission from that from that lease and and oh, the, guy no that, way. the guy that hung up on me got part, got part of the uh, the commission which was really disappointing what a joke yeah yeah so right this is this bit i really love cuz the kind of excitement and the fear all like rolling into one because it's like money's going down infrastructure's getting put in you know like as we kind of touched upon australia is a relatively young beer scene at this time there's not is there anyone kind of doing what you were aiming to do in the way that you were going to do it with the progressive kind of nature of the beers that you wanted to produce as well? Uh, not really, not at that stage. Um, so this is a new, this is a new dimension for like the beer culture of, of Australia. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's not true. There, there were, there were probably a couple of places doing it, but I, I don't think we really knew about them at that time. We, we yeah. were definitely not modeling our, our business off anyone else in Australia. It was, it was definitely American and UK breweries that had influenced us the most at that stage. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, and, and, you know, we, we did have a couple of really great contacts um, from local breweries. Um, one guy in particular from a, from a brewery that's not far from us and not far from where I live um, called Green Beacon and his name's Chris Borbis. Um, and he helped us a lot in terms of just contacts in the industry of, you know, plumbers and, and concreters and, you know, all the, the grassroots stuff that you need to do mm. to, to get a brewery off the ground. And so we were really lucky to have a little bit of guidance in that way. But in terms of, you know, the, the rest of it and, and the, the, the brewery itself and the beers we made, no, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely all us at that point. And how confident were you that this was gonna, that this was gonna come off and not just like turn into a big, minus bank statement uh i think i was incredibly naively confident at the time uh, <laughs> yeah i i i was i i, I kind of just had this vision of how it was going to play out and and i think you have to be positive about it at that point like you have to you have to think you have a good plan and and a, and a good business plan and a, and a good model and 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 kind of have confidence that it's going to work. Because if you don't, then you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Um, exactly, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely still terrifying. You know, we were quite young when we signed those leases. Um, and yeah, there, there was definitely a bit of fear. And it was, def it's our, it was our first business. Um, so yeah, it was, there was, there was a, an equal parts, you know, young excitement and equal parts, you know, fear, I guess. Yeah. But that's the driving force. I think that's. I think you have to have all of those things, and you have mm -hmm. to have confidence, even though you're probably not going to get it right from the off. You have to have a certain amount of confidence that your vision is the right vision, and there's yeah. a space, there's a there's a there's a market fit for you to be there. So you're bustling with energy. You've got this naive confidence. How did it go from from the off? What what kind of? Because I when you actually came over here, you and Abby were over here not so long ago, and we actually finally got to hang out and have some beers. You were, you know, it's a common story, but it was the three of you are a very, very small team working all of the hours. You obviously had a tap room at the heart of what you wanted to do. So mm. how did that all come together? And, and <laughs> what kind of hours and what kind of work were you putting in at that time? Oh, at that time when we opened, it was, it was seven days a week, a hundred hours a week. 
like without question. <laughs> um, and it was like that for at least the first six months to a year, um, just nonstop. Um, uh, Mitch was obviously brewing all the, all the beer at that point. Um, and then Jerry and I were um, working in the bar and working in the kitchen. Like Jerry cut pizzas on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday for the first year of the business. And I did open to close in the bar for the first year of the business. Um, and people would say to us like, oh, what do you, like, what do you do during the week? And we'd be like, everything else it takes to run a business. Like it was kind of this assumption that we only worked on Friday and Saturday nights when, when the brewery was busy. But um, no, it, it's, you know, anyone that, that, that runs a brewery or any business knows that there's so much work that goes in behind the scenes to actually make that service mm-hmm. happen. Um, and so, yeah, it was pretty chaotic at the time, but, but it was, it was quite busy right off the bat. Um, I think when we, when we launched, um, our first beers were, um, a DDH IPA, uh, an oatmeal vanilla stout, a blueberry sour, um, a session ale and a, um, and a pills. And no one in Australia knew what DDH was at that point. And amazing. The, the fact that I think that we'd launched with like, you know, what at the time was, you know, probably in Australia considered a pastry stout, like an oatmeal vanilla stout and a, and a blueberry sour was, was like unfathomable for some people that those were the five beers that we launched with. Um, and so, yeah, it was pretty busy. And at that point it was, as I said, it was in 20, that was in 20 May of 2018. And that was when the, the local smaller brewery boom was really happening in Australia. It mm-hmm. wasn't just massive breweries that existed. It was, it was smaller craft beers, uh, craft breweries. And, and there was a lot of interest in, and obviously there still is in, in smaller breweries that were making local beer at that point. Um, and it was around the time that the tap room really started to take off as well, just in general, people started to realize that a brewery tap room was basically just the same as the pub. Like you could go there and, you know, you would hear good music, good, there was good food um, available. And then, and then there was obviously like locally made beer as well. And what, so that's kind of interesting. You, you said that there was a, at that time, at that point, there was a few different breweries kind of rising up to do a similar kind of thing. Cause it felt very similar in the UK, you know, when we started 2014, um, there was, it felt like there was a big push of just new breweries and new things happening. And the whole scene felt like a, a real vibrant place to be something I kind of talked about mm. quite a lot. Was that similar in the, uh, Australia? Yeah, it was. And, and that, and that was probably the only thing that really scared us at the time that we opened because, you know, we were sort of sitting there when we first came home from the UK and we were kind of like sitting ducks. Like we had all these plans, but you can't, you know, you can't make your brew house arrive any, any sooner than you're at the, you're at the mercy of manufacturing. And, you know, thank God we, we're not trying to do that now because, you know, with shipping the way that it is and manufacturing the way that it is, you could be waiting a couple of years for your brew house to get built. But yeah, we were, we were watching all these other breweries open around us and, and sort of gain these followings. And we were, we were sort of fretting a little bit that we were going to miss the boat um, at that point. But I think in the end, we, we hit kind of right at the perfect time because in actual fact, some of those breweries probably sort of laid more of even more of a foundation than what the couple of other local Brisbane breweries had done before that. Um, and it was just the perfect time for us to kind of come in and do what we were about to do. 
You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the First Time, and this is our interview with Matt McIver. What do you think... So you said that it kind of resonated with people pretty quickly. Why? What, what was it about what you were doing? And you were pretty bold in the beers that you produced there as well. They, they're not just a light pale ale and a IPA. It was like pretty bold, big, flavorful things. Beers that maybe were new to, totally new to people when you talk like blueberry sours and that kind of thing. What, so people were ready for that, but what was it that kind of resonated with people and got them out to come down to the, to the tap room? I think at that point, and we weren't making new beers as frequently as what we, what we do now, but I was pretty determined early on um, with, with the lack of core range that, you know, and this was something that I'd kind of learned from being in the States and being in the UK was that like people wanted choice and they wanted something fresh to drink every week. They didn't, not, not everyone just wanted to drink the same beer day in, day out and week in, week out. Um, and, I, and I think that's what was missing in the scene at the time was that there was, you know, the bigger breweries would, would do three limited release beers per year, but then they just had their core range and that was, that was what you drank. And, Mm-hmm. And, and I was pretty determined that, you know, people wanted choice and they wanted, they wanted fresh beer and they wanted to know that it was fresh because they'd seen it, you know, be released that weekend. And, and I think that was one of the things that really resonated with people early on was that like you could get something different all the time. And, and, you know, obviously we were by no means pioneers of that model. It was, you know, something that we, we took inspiration from, from a multitude of other breweries at the time, but it was something that wasn't as common in Australia at the time. Um, and I think that was one of the things. And then the other thing was just um, the styles of beer that we were making, as you said, like I was, I, I remember having a conversation with Mitch telling him that new England IPA was going to be this, this thing that, that was going to, was going to happen. And he was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. And I was like, no, like really you need to learn how to make new England IPA <laughs> because like it's coming. And uh, yeah, we're like, we, we, we got to be the ones to do it and do it right. And that's pretty much been our, you know, our goal from the outset is, is uh, I don't want to say perfecting because no one has perfected it, but, you know, chasing, chasing like um, just the highest standard of, of brewing in that realm of, of fresh, you know, hazy IPA and, and double IPA. Cause that that wasn't a thing in Australia at all, and I I knew it was a trend that was gonna was gonna really take off, and um, that was something that we really pushed for early on, and and that I think people really liked was that there was an Australian brewery who was pushing the limits on that style of beer. Yeah, man. Well, like I said, we finally got to hang out and have some beers, and I actually finally got to try your uh, your beers as well when we were pouring together down at Beacon. He's done a good job, Mitch, because they're serious, man. They were like as good as I've ever had. And this isn't hyperbole. It's like genuinely I was blown away by the quality of, of those beers. Those hazy IPAs and stuff were just, were, were on as good a level as, as I've drank. And it's kind of interesting. Was Mitch, um, were they styles that he was passionate about? Or was he just like, I'm going to focus on this and I'm going to do my best to perfect it as a style? even though it's not generally something I'm passionate about. I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't know cause I've never met Mitch. So I don't know what, where his passions lie, but I know that those beers are seriously good. Yeah. 
uh, no, that that is not expressly where Mitch's passions lie. Um, but it, it was something that we outlined that we wanted that we wanted to do, and he was kind of up for the challenge. Like, don't get me wrong, like Mitch knows when he nails a, a recipe on a on a double IPA or or an IPA, and and loves those beers. But at, at the time, and and still, like he's a he's a very old school kind of a um, West Coast IPA um, drinker, and will tell you all about you know the Green Flash um, and the Stone IPAs that that he used to drink back in the heyday of, you know, the bar that we used to work at. But um, yeah, he, he very quickly, um, you know, had a, had a, an understanding of how, it, how, how to brew that style of beer. Um, and ever since then, I think we've, we, and, and not just Mitch, but um, the brew team, Ali and, and, um, and Aaron, our brewers have, have kind of just made it their mission to, to just get to know the style as much as we can. And, I think the hardest thing about that has been that we're so far away from the places that actually pioneered that style. Um, and especially in the last couple of years, there's been, you know, th there's been a really, um, a, a real lack of, you know, ability for us to leave the islands, um, which is why I was so keen to get back over to the UK this year. And, and cause we take inspiration from, you know, from other breweries and there's not, there's not that many breweries down here that push the limits on that style of beer compared to you know the, the rest of the states or the uk or europe as a whole so yeah it's, it's tough in a way to to try and be progressive but you know it's something that we always try to keep doing when the tap room was kind of let's skip it back a bit so you've done you're doing your 100 hours because i think this is a really kind of important thing for people to recognize i guess when we're embarking on any other kind of business is that those hundred hours, I guess, were you still just filled with like raw excitement at that time, even though you were working to the bone because you were creating something of your own? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think you just, you don't even at that point realize like how crazy it is, how long a day is you're working because there, there really isn't another choice. So yeah. <laughs> you, you, you kind of just get in this mindset of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go to work today and I'm not going to come home until pretty late at night. And, you know, we don't get me wrong. We were having a good time. We were sort of basking in the uh, the benefits of having eight taps of beer that we could just pour ourselves at any time. And um, we had a Sunday routine of going to this craft beer bar after work, and we would we would basically just drink as many bottles of Bucks and Omnipolar uh, Yellow Belly as we could <laughs> on a Sunday night and, until either they ran out or or the bar closed, whichever came first. Wow. Um, and, and, and so that was just, yeah, it was just kind of something that we did for that time. And I, I guess like when you start something and you want it to be successful, you're just willing to, to put in those hours to, to get it done. And we, we were just so obsessed with, um, with, with having this, this business that, that worked and, and that people enjoyed coming to. And so we just did whatever we could at that point to, to kind of keep it growing and, and keep, keep the ball rolling, I guess. Do you think now I know you, we can edit this out if you do, don't want to talk about it, but did you get everything right from the off, you know, with regards to packaging, with regards to branding, with regards to beer styles, what kind of mistakes were you making back then? If you look back now. Heaps. So many. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen any of the, 
you may not have ever seen any of the early branding. Or maybe oh, I you did. That's, that's really why I kind that. of said we can yeah. edit this out because I know that it's the, uh, you know, it's the, the non-spoken about part of range maybe. Yeah, no, we, uh, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but no, we, we, we had an idea of, of what we thought would be a cool thing for our branding and it, um, it got old very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were lucky enough to have um, already at that time met Jess and had Jess, who's now our full-time graphic designer, on board. And, and she was, you know, pretty ready to sort of step up and, and take control of the label artwork and take it to what it is um, today, which I think is, you know, up there with some of the best in the world, let alone Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And yeah, so that, that, you know, that was one and I, I don't even like to talk about it or think about it because it's like, it's almost embarrassing how bad it was. And some of the, some of the artwork we had, um, it was pretty average, but yeah, there was that. And we, you know, we, we definitely, um, we learned some hard lessons in, in packaging, um, and, uh, what dissolved oxygen did to hazy beers, um, early on. And, and, and we, we had to fall on our sword at that point and, and just own, own the mistakes that we made and, and sort of um, promised to never, you know, not, not to never make them again, but to do our best to make sure that they didn't happen again. And, mm-hmm. and that led to a fairly heavy investment into our, into our packaging uh, and lab equipment um, and, and DO testing um, in, in our packaging. And, and, it, and I think it, you know, it's almost good that we went through that because it, it gave us a, a very um, acute appreciation of what it means to, to have, you know, solid packaging and a solid packaging team and, and quality control measures in place that, that, you know, leads you to have strict measures and, and procedures, which we now have. Um, but yeah, you know, in the early days of, of packaging, Mitch hadn't done any canning before. So, you know, he, he jumped in the deep end and just, and just tried to, to do the best that he could, which is exactly what he did. And we did. And, you know, there was many a days where it was he, he, me and Jerry and, and maybe one or two other people on the canning line for hours at a time um, packaging beer, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and at the start, even before we had a canning line, we used to hand can, you know, oh, man. one keg of every, every, every beer we had available, like from our taps and, a, you know, a countertop canning machine. And we would put that in a fridge on a Friday and, and, it, would, and it would sell out on a Friday and it was like, it was good because it was selling and people were drinking it fast, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was heartbreaking because it would take hours and hours of mess oh, just man. to get the fridge full. And then the fridge would sell out on a Friday. I was like, Oh my God, that took so long. Um, but yeah, that, no. So, t- so take a long answer there that we definitely didn't get everything right. And we're still not getting everything mm-hmm. right. I think like anyone who's in business knows that there's always lessons to be learned and there's always mistakes to be made. And that's part of, being a small business and, and being any business is that, you know, you've got to learn from those mistakes and it's, it's how you respond to them. And, and, and I think the best thing that we ever did was we were always open and honest. And whenever we made a mistake, we didn't try and hide behind it or say, you know, uh, you know, it's your fault, not ours. We always just owned up to it and said, yep, you know, that, that beer does need to be recalled or, or, or we just wouldn't release a beer. You know, we were, we were, we were, never afraid to tip a beer out because it didn't meet our standards. And I think, you know, people have joked, oh, Rangers never made a bad beer. That is 100% not the case. We just we just don't release beers that we don't think, you know, meet a certain standard of, of being able to be released. And 
I wish everyone had that standard, but you know, it's still not quite the case in the industry, unfortunately, but um, it's something that we always sort of wanted, wanted to hold ourselves to was that anything that goes out of the brewery is, is to a standard that we believe is, you know, can be enjoyed by people. Yeah. And I guess, you know, with those decisions, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a financial decision. You literally could be pouring multiple thousands of dollars just down the drain and no one's going to see it. And you, I guess, as a business owner, that's coming straight out of your pocket if, if, as a business, you know, these, these are hard decisions, but I guess they, yeah. they're valuable decisions when you talk about consumer trust and, you know, what ranges and you have to set the bar high. You want to be the best at what you do. That means that you have to sacrifice things like finances when you, when you deem it not to be right. I always like the idea that maybe people listen to this podcast and they're kind of thinking about starting their own brewery. Um, I know there's lots of home brewers and people who are maybe earlier in their, their brewing careers. Could we do just from your point of your perspective, pros and cons of a core range, because you set out pretty strongly from the start that you weren't going to do that. Now, you know, a core range allows you certain things, you know, it allows you the ability to get a consistent product that if you want to go big and scale up, it gives you that platform to do so. But then there's the other, which is just constantly creating, constantly creating, constantly creating, which I guess maybe for smaller consumer markets is, is more exciting. But yeah, what, what were the choices in your head and why did and didn't you do them? Um, well, it's, it's a very interesting time to have the, uh, this conversation. Stephen. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel there's an announcement. We're actually, we're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're actually pretty close to launching a, a, a core beer. Amazing. Um, and I'm, and I'm happy to kind of talk about the reasons why that we're doing that. Um, and it's not something that, that we ever thought we would do, but it was never something that we said we wouldn't do. It was more just something that we, we didn't want to do from the start. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. And, and I guess the main one was like, when we opened the brewery, like Mitch had never brewed on a kit on, on the kit that we, you know, that we had, like he'd never brewed a DDH IPA, Mm -hmm. you know, we were never gonna, we were never gonna nail that, that first release. And, you know, the first year of our beers, like if I think about the beers that we're making in 2018 versus what we're making now, you know, we've come a, a really long way in our, in our brewing. And so I don't think it would be fair to say, oh, this is our core beer. You know, this is the one that we're going to make for the rest of eternity and, and leave it at that. Um, and so that, like that, along with, you know, consumers wanting, you know, lots of different options, which at the time we didn't, we didn't have the, the tank space to do. Mm-hmm. So if, if we'd have made a core beer, it would have been 75% of what we did because we just didn't have that many tanks. But that, so that was kind of the reasons that we, that we never did it at the start. Um, the reasons that we've been thinking about doing it lately is that I, I guess um, since COVID and, and the recent financial you know, crisis of the world, um, consumer habits have changed slightly. Um, and there are people that you know, went through this little period of four or five years where they wanted something different all the time who are going back to, to their, old, their old favorites. Um, and so, you know, we as a brewery, um, you know, we have goals to hit for, for growth um, and they're not, 
like Stone and Wood goals or Bolter goals or Brewdog goals. It's it's nothing like that, and and that's not something we 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 actually have in our mind at all. It's it's more just filling a gap and and getting that little bit of consistency in our in our week. You know, every couple of weeks where we're brewing something familiar. And to be honest, it's actually a new challenge for us because we haven't we haven't ever had that before. We haven't ever yeah, had sure. to make a beer consistently the same week in, week out and and hit the same specs and 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 really nail down on on one style. We've always kind of been able to just go with the flow and and make what we feel like we want to make. Um, so that's one thing. And you know, th- there are other benefits that is for it as well. Like, you know, you guys make a lot of Sonoma. They make a lot of steady rolling man and they they use that to their advantage you know with their yeast propagation that they've always got a tank of steady that that they can take yeast out of you guys are always cropping out of sonoma you know so it it, it has its advantages for the rest of the brewery not just in in the market in sales and so that's that's another factor that we've considered when thinking is it something that we want to do where we make a beer you know consistently and you know the market has changed so much that, and, and we change our mind on things all the time. So I'd be very surprised if in two years time, we're, we're still making this beer the way that, the way that we are now, or with, you know, the same brand, you know, yeah. it, it might change, change in two years. And I guess that's the, that, that's the, um, the beauty of being a smaller brewery is that we, we can get away with making those kind of agile changes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation and, you know, I, personally, I'll be honest, I never wanted to do it. I never wanted to have a core range and it's, it's been something that's taken me a lot longer to come to grips with mm-hmm. than other people in the business. But it's, it's something that I've, you know, I've come around to seeing the benefits of. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's not, it's not happening just yet, but it's something that we're, that we're working on. Um, so, I mean, I love an now. exclusive, Matt. That, thanks for that, man. But uh, can you, is... Do you want to do any more details on what the beer is and the style and stuff, or would you are you are you keeping it under your hats for for a little while? This won't air for probably uh, a month or so, so I don't know if it'll be announced by then. Uh it probably won't. Oh, it's a <laughs> it's a juicy, crushable beer yeah. that I think you know that it's a style of beer that we make you know all the time, and it's the it's the the style of beer that we sell the most of. Okay, so it's. We're not, you know, we're not going away from our roots. We're not doing anything that we haven't done before. We're just, you know, going to pick a, a recipe and, and stick with it for a while. <laughs> there, is, there is something amazing about... Maybe people don't understand necessarily how hard it is to be consistent at our scale. Like, it's, it's really yeah. hard. The variables are kind of constant, you know. Uh, it's... So being able to kind of have a continual product that you can try each batch and be like, this isn't as good as the last one or what's happened here, this, that. There is something that's educational in that, I guess, because your palate is just constantly changing, tasting the same thing. So you can kind of see what you're getting from the hops and that kind of thing. So maybe you'll be excited by that. And it's a very light core range, isn't it, when you've just got one beer? Because that's kind of what we're, where we sit. We have Sonoma and that that is the core beer there's the other ones that rotate around it a little bit but generally that is it yeah and yeah like don't get me wrong I, I actually am excited um I'm excited about you know chasing that consistency and I think the one thing that 
that really scared me about, you know, the core range and speaking to, to Mitch and, you know, other people that have worked in bigger breweries and, and, and you see that, that lifelessness in their eyes with the brewers when they just, you know, another batch mm-hmm. of this beer, like they've just like, they don't even have to think they can just do it in their sleep because all they do is just make the same beer all the time. And I think the, the reason that, that we've been so successful is because it's, it's, it's so exciting to come to work every week because there's always a new beer getting packaged. There's always, you know, something else that we've tried that, that is exciting or, you know, makes people in the team want to, want to be at work and drink the beer and, and see how the results came out. So my thing was just that I, I never wanted our, our staff to just be bored and, and have, you know, the same old, same old, you know, in 80% of our production schedule, but I don't think that we'll ever get to that. And, and no one wants to get to that. You know, we, we very much still want to keep pushing the envelope. Um, we just want to have something kind of on the side that, that we, that we work on consistently to, to kind of be the best that it can be. Well, that's really exciting. Thanks for letting us, that, that was a, that was a question It took a, took a path that I wasn't expecting. So that was really cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if we, uh, if we kind of pan out from here, we've, you know, we've gone through the story of range and dived into a little bit of the Australian beer market as well. How would you like to see the next five years progressing for range and the beer scene, maybe in Australia or maybe just globally? And how do you, do you actually see it going? What kind of things are you looking for? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big question. Um, People have been asking us this a little bit lately and, 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 you know, to be honest, the, the, the stress and the, the tiredness of the pandemic has, I, I guess, um, um, skewed like our future outlook just a little bit because mm-hmm. we're still in, especially in Australia, we're still in this mindset of it's, we're not quite out of it yet. And it's, we're not back to normal. Like people still aren't traveling as much over here. The, the international tourism that is usually flooded into Australia is, is definitely not here yet. I mean, it is winter, so that's kind of to be expected, but I don't know. I, like, I think our, our vision changed a little bit from, you know, we were considering a bigger brewery and do we kind of take on that production route? And then we saw what happened in the pandemic with bigger breweries and, and, and the, just the risk of, of, you know, that, that scale of growth is is quite terrifying, really, yeah. um, and and we don't we don't really want to do that. So I think like for us as a business, we're we're focusing a lot more on our on our venues and our local communities, um, and just working within that um, within that scope. As an industry, um, it's hard to say that that there hasn't been too many trends in the last little while that have that have really sort of come up and blown people away. Um, I think there's obviously a, a pushback to, um, you know, more traditional styles in lager and, and then more kind of, I guess, modern old school tra- styles in like West Coast IPA and stuff like that. Um, I, don't, I don't really have any crazy big philosophical uh, <laughs> answer for this one. But I think, I think you kind of touched on a few. I, I, I think people... Pe- go, go for it, yeah, I think people are just going to be... I think people are just going to be excited to get out there and travel again yeah. and just go and see their friends on the other side of the planet and, and in different countries and, and get back to, to festivals and live events. And it's going to take a little while, but I think 
that side of things is is going to be where it's at for the next couple of years. People are just going to want to soak up as much of that as they can and then kind of see what comes of it and go from there. I think you used a word there that, you know, definitely describes us as well, which is agile. Like when you see what what happened through the pandemic, it is a bit, it, you know, it scares you. It shakes you a bit to just go like, well, if we were, you know, four times the size of what we were, we would have taken a big hit and, you know, the risks that come with that. Like there's, there is a beauty in an, an I guess it keeps it exciting as well in that that smaller scale agility of being able to move beer styles or move like production just totally into small pack at the drop of a hat. Um, yeah, so you were, you were a great philosopher there, Matt. You you touched on all the the interesting points. <laughs> Don't beat yourself up. Mm. Um, okay, man. Well, let's let's uh, let's get to the uh, pre-apocalypse beer that I think you know everyone wants to know what it's going to be for you. So, you're at a bar, they serve every beer ever made, they can make any beer that you want to be made in an instant, there's a little news flash in the corner of the room, and it says, a comet's going to hit in an hour. A barman walks up to you, slaps his hand on the, on the bar and says, what are you drinking? What are you going to have, Matt? Oh, I was prepared for the desert island beer for the rest of my life, <laughs> not the comet beer. Yeah, this is it's it's, it's it's a new take. I think um, I I think I would I would go with a with an other half double IPA. Amazing. Yeah, that just the the effect that other half beers had on me when I, you know, around that time of 2016, 2017 and. And how polarizing they were to me. And I'm sure there were other breweries at the time making them. But yeah, there's something about other half beers. And I've told Sam this before, but they just, they hit different when they're fresh. And yeah, I would, I would take the freshest of, of other half double IPAs. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think that the other half model and those beers, I mean, when I drank your beers at, uh, at Beaks Festival, they definitely gave me a sense of that. Those, that just insane hop expression it's a thing of beauty thanks man appreciate that and that's it another episode done a massive 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 thanks to Matt for sitting down and uh, enjoying that one I was drinking tea and he was drinking beer due to the time difference but it was great to sit down with him apologies about the technical hiccups on this one as well but I think the content was great I hope you enjoyed it if you did like share do whatever you please with it uh, a massive thanks to Tom Coucher for production as always yeah we'll be back next week with another episode so stay thirsty stay thirsty